0: as i mentioned a couple days ago on the post new hampshire pod i'm very excited to have john ralston as our guest today to talk about all things nevada john has a storied career in nevada he's uh, written for three newspapers uh, hosted uh, television shows now he started an online news site called the nevada independent um, which is just a terrific uh, site i encourage you to check it out um, in the next ten days, and, and after that, and uh, is an active uh, presence on social media, um, and he's he's a good blend of someone who he's a journalist, so he you know can do traditional reporting, but he also uh, is a data uh, geek and knows the numbers in Nevada backwards and forwards. So he's someone I think who's going to help guide all of us over the next um, ten days. He'll also be one of the moderators of the NBC and MSNBC debate that takes place in Nevada next Wednesday, which. I think will be, uh, like New Hampshire, uh, an important debate. So, um, you know, Nevada is going to be important. Um, uh, you know, in, in, for us in 08, in it was an important state because we had split Iowa and New Hampshire. We came into Nevada, competed really hard. Uh, things began to get super intense in the Obama-Clinton race, really in Nevada, before we even moved to South Carolina. Different tenor. Uh, Hillary actually won the raw vote. Um, We won the delegates largely because we outperformed her pretty significantly in the rural areas. Um, And, you know, it was very important four years ago because we had Bernie and Hillary. Hillary was declared the winner very narrowly over Bernie in Iowa, and then Bernie won a blowout win in New Hampshire, and then they went to Nevada. Both campaigns went all in, and Hillary won. And I think that helped her stabilize her campaign and provided a foundation for her. Uh, This is more cloudy. It's not a two-person race. It's Um, you know, a five- to six-person race. And so uh, it'll be the first time uh, these candidates uh, on scale are talking to uh, communities of color. Um, it's another caucus. So, of course, we hope it gets executed well and, and people are able to participate easily and, and the vote gets counted uh, quickly but uh, and accurately. Um, but it's also a test of organization. And so who's got the ability to organize statewide? There's four congressional districts in Nevada. I want to talk to John Ralston about each of them so you can learn more about them. Uh, one of them uh, offers an odd number of delegates. Uh, CD1 uh, has five delegates, which means you know, maybe there's a scenario where five candidates are all viable over 15 percent and they each get one. But in a scenario where there's less than five, uh, the person who ends up uh, being on top there gets an extra delegate. Um, and so I think there'll be uh, particular attention uh, paid on CD one, uh, which is kind of the inner core of of Las Vegas, uh, the urban core. Um, uh, and so I think um, it'll be fascinating to see, you know, strength with Latino voters or not that candidates have who does well in the urban areas, suburban areas. Um, You know, who who does well with the African-American community? So I think there'll be some important lessons, too, coming out of Nevada uh, that we might be able to use to have a better understanding of what's going to happen in the calendar as we go to states that – Um, you know, have more diversity. Um, And so I think we can learn some important lessons about who's building strength in those communities um, and who's not. I'm also talking to John today. Uh, It's Thursday. We learned that the culinary union, powerful union that represents uh, so many of the people who work in the hospitality industry uh, in Nevada and the casino industry have a big announcement today. We don't know what's going to happen. We'll be dropping this pod, you know, later this afternoon. Odds are uh, people who follow Carefully, John included. Believe it's going to be uh, no endorsement, uh, and continue to say that they um, uh, oppose Bernie Sanders because they think Medicare for All um, could hurt their members, and they're not happy with how some of Bernie Sanders supporters are are treating the Culinary Union. Um, maybe they'll surprise us and endorse someone. But you know, the Culinary Union represents a tremendously large amount of workers. Um, Barack Obama was. Um, blessed enough to get their endorsement in, in 2008, so um, you know they'll be a factor here. Uh, if they decide not to endorse, then I think the question just is, how much damage can they do to Bernie? And of course, the question: a union is not monolithic; it's members. So there's still going to be members of the culinary that support Bernie, but are they able to reduce that number in, in a way that could have um, some impact? Um, so you know, I think. Uh, As hard as it was for, for, uh, let's say, Amy Klobuchar uh, to have a great performance in New Hampshire, uh, it's even harder here. She didn't have many staff on the ground. She just started her advertising. So I think we need to watch carefully to see if Amy Klobuchar can fully leverage her performance um, uh, in Nevada. Joe Biden obviously coming off of two poor performances in Iowa and New Hampshire, a lot of focus on South Carolina appropriately, but Nevada is a state where demographically it's the type of state his campaign has long said they should do well in. So I'm sure that uh, maybe Joe Biden's campaign doesn't think they need to win it, um, but certainly uh, bouncing back into the top three, I think, would be important for them uh, heading into South Carolina. Um, Mayor Pete, obviously, uh, coming off two strong showings, wants to continue that. Um, you know, folks on the ground in Nevada. I think he's got a very strong organization, uh, as does Bernie Sanders, as does Elizabeth Warren. Um, so we'll see if Mayor Pete. I'm sure for them, uh, as a as an underdog, they want to continue to outperform expectations. So, uh, continuing to to maybe get into the one or two spots, probably where they'd like to be. And Elizabeth Warren, I think we'll we'll throw everything she can in Nevada. Uh, to try and uh, right her ship and get into the top three. So, you know, a lot of people have a lot riding on Nevada. I don't know if people will drop out after Nevada. Um, I think a lot of these candidates want to at least make it to Super Tuesday and and see where they might be able to get some delegates. But um, it'll be fascinating. Again, I think the other thing in Nevada is we have a debate. We'll see how important that is. I'm, I'm sure it will be important because, like Iowa and New Hampshire, um, a lot of people are fluid, Um, And I think they'll be looking for more information. And of course, we don't know yet if Mike Bloomberg will be on that debate stage. Um, And so that could be a factor as well, even though he's not contesting Nevada, uh, given his rise in the polls and all of his spending and a lot more coverage of his record in New York, um, he could be front and center in that debate. So uh, if you care about this nomination fight uh, and want to know all you can about it, there's no better person to to listen and, and learn from than John Ralston, who we'll hear from next. John Ralston, it's such a treat to have you on Campaign HQ, the king of Nevada politics. Thanks for joining us. Hi, David. So we're talking to John uh, today on uh, Thursday, and I was going to start by asking about the Culinary Union, but we've gotten word that uh, just in a couple of hours, they've got an announcement to make. John, first of all, what are you hearing about what they may announce today?
1: Well, I have... Long thought that they were going to stay out of this race um, unless Biden managed to uh, surge in in Iowa or New Hampshire. That clearly hasn't happened. In fact, the reverse has happened. So I don't think they're going to go out to try to resurrect a corpse, uh, David. But they are really, really, really upset about uh, what has happened in the wake of them putting out of some flyers about Bernie Sanders and the reaction of some of his, uh, to use the euphemism, fervent uh, supporters. And, and my guess is, at the very least, uh, what they are going to do is really, really do a frontal assault on uh, Bernie and his supporters. Uh, but I just I don't think that they will endorse anybody.
0: Right. So, let's talk whether they endorse one of the other candidates or don't. Now, and you and I talked a lot about this back in 2008. We were fortunate enough to get the endorsement of the Culinary Union, ended up you know, not winning the raw vote in Nevada, but won the delegates, kind of a split decision. Talk about how powerful they are and the impact they could have on the caucuses... Um, you know, we, Saturday after next.
1: It's interesting because you're a great person to talk to about this, David, because uh, they came out, I believe it was right after New Hampshire for Obama. Right and, after and, we lost
0: and, New Hampshire. Right. Yeah.
1: And it, it was a big boost for you guys in Nevada. Uh, and then a lot of stuff happened after that. And Hillary ended up winning the, the the popular vote by five or six points, but you guys uh, understood the caucus rules so well that you ended up getting one more delegate, maybe two more delegates, as, as I recall. But but the impact of the culinary union is if they turn their endorsement into field action because they have 50,000, 60,000 members, many of them are political, very politically active and politically savvy. And so if they go out and organize and vote, that, that can totally change the calculus of the the race, right? Because the turnout is not going to be so overwhelming where that if you get them out there, uh, the workers out there voting in a pretty monolithic way, no union votes monolithically, but the Culinary Union uh, has very good messaging to its members, that could make a huge difference. Uh, My guess now is that Bernie's not going to get too many of their votes.
0: Right, right. Which could really depress him, certainly uh, in certain congressional districts. So, John, one of the things I love about talking to you and reading you is you obviously can cover a candidate's policies and their messages as well as anybody, but you understand the numbers uh, so deeply. So l- let's start there. So uh, Nevada's going to have 35 pledged delegates. I don't want to talk about the superdelegates now, 12 of those at the statewide level. So let's start statewide. I mean, we got it's a lifetime between now and, and the caucuses, but if you had to guess right now, how many candidates do you think are likely to be viable statewide, over 15% on caucus day?
1: So let me give all the caveats first, uh, David, and I will tell you what I think but there's there so many caveats here, and you understand all this stuff better than I do. The only way to make any kind of uh, prediction on this kind of stuff is to know something about what the turnout's going to look like and what that model is going to be. Uh, and you are as good as anybody at that. He, here's what I think now. It is almost impossible to predict that uh, for two reasons this year in the caucus. One is uh, because uh, of the Iowa disaster, there is a potential here for people not to want a caucus, thinking it's going to be the same thing, having heard all those horror stories as good as the state party is here. And as you know, they're one of the best state parties uh, you will ever see. That's how good they are. But the the other wrinkle in here, David, is that early voting for the caucus, which is on the 22nd, starts this weekend, the 15th, for four days. So are many more people going to decide, I still want to cast my vote for my candidate of choice, but I'm going to do it early instead of going to the actual caucus. So early voting is going to be huge. You know, people are used to voting early in Nevada. Two-thirds of the people vote early in most elections now. So will that increase the turnout? That's much more of like a, a primary than, than, than a caucus, right? You just go, and you, the way they're having it now is you have a paper ballot, and it's a pretty simple process. They've reduced it because of what happened in Iowa. They don't want to take chances with an app, and so they're trying to uh, reduce the technology involved. So having said all that, I just I don't have a good sense of the turnout, except my gut tells me that many, many people are going to vote early and not want to have to go to a caucus, whether because they don't like caucus, or they're afraid it's going to be just like Iowa and they don't want to take that kind of chance. Whether what, what that increases or decreases overall turnout, I don't know. So, having said that, I'm going to go back to your original question, which is how many do I think are, are going to be viable? Let's assume that I'm right about the culinary and the culinary ends up not endorsing and really is, is just going to tell its message to its members is to uh, essentially kill Bernie if they can, whatever that means. And they've essentially indicated that they don't like Warren and, and, and that they have some affinity for the others. Klobuchar has almost no organization here, uh, David. She got here really late. She's now made a massive TV buy, but uh, th- that is not as effective in a caucus as people uh, might think. I, I still think that Bernie is the favorite uh, to win, and but I think Mayor Pete, and you will appreciate this, has, had, has formed an organization that was poised to take advantage of Of any momentum he were to get out of Iowa and New Hampshire. They have probably the second most number of people on the ground. They have some smart people who have been involved in the caucus uh, before. So I think those two are going to be viable. And after that, you know, Warren, I would have told you two or three months ago, would have been the favorite. Uh, She still has a chance. She has a really good organization here. But I'm just, I'm not sure about that now.
0: Right. So let's talk about, um, and then Biden. Obviously, decelerating a little bit, I'm going to throw everything he can into South Carolina, but it seems to me they can't afford another fifth place Venice in, in a state that does have a lot of diversity.
1: Yeah. And then that's an interesting, uh, you know, I, I didn't, maybe you expected him to only get 9% in New Hampshire. I mean, that is such a precipitous <laughs> no. drop for a national frontrunner. Now, Biden has been in front in all the polls here, but there hasn't been a poll taken uh, lately. And you know, you and I have talked before about skepticism about polling in Nevada and how difficult it is, especially to poll uh, for this caucus. But he does not have the same kind of organization that Mayor Pete or Bernie have. And Warren has a much better organization, uh, so far as I can tell, than Biden does here, although they're pouring a lot of resources in now. And they have the former political director of the culinary actually uh, taking a leave from her job to help them organize. And uh, But I, I just don't see him doing uh, better than uh, third or fourth. And he may he may uh, finish in fifth. So you know how important uh, perception and momentum is in these early states. That's what it's really all about. And it's really bad for him.
0: Now, And by the way, just back on early votes. So these are uh, all in person. And how many sites are there around the state?
1: Uh, you're you're asking me a question that I should have checked before I got here, uh, David. I don't know. Uh, there are a lot, though.
0: Right. So, yeah. So, campaigns will be trying to drive. I mean, I wish we had had that, <laughs> you know, back in 08 in for sure. Um, so, um, let's talk a little bit about the congressional districts. Um you know, Congressional District 1 is the only one with an odd number of delegates. That's five. And then the other three have six. But let, let's, you know, to the extent you want to talk about delegates, let's do that. But also just, it'd be, I think, interesting for people listening to this who may not know Nevada well. Like, talk a little bit about those districts, geography, makeup, because um, I think if you're running a smart campaign in Nevada, you, you're you you're not running a statewide campaign, you're, you're running four congressional district campaigns. So just love your observations and who you think might, you know, uh, particularly out outperform in, in one CD versus another. Yeah.
1: And of course, without blowing too much smoke, this is the approach that you took in 2008 and you were able to lose the popular vote and still win uh, the delegate battle because you didn't knew It well, wasn't the our goal. plan to lose it, but yeah, <laughs> we, we benefited <laughs> the,
0: from, you know, the yeah, no, we outperformed in the rural areas. Right. Which...
1: Exactly. And it's like, what, what, you know, what in the world is Barack Obama doing in Elko? <laughs> but, but, but anyhow, um, the bottom line is, is that let me go through all four districts real quickly and yeah, describe yeah, them. Yeah. Be great. So congressional district one is a essentially the urban core. It is by far the most democratic district uh, in the state. It's represented by Dina Titus, who was very, very popular in her district and who is now going all out for Biden. So if Biden has a chance uh, here to do something, it's because Dina Titus is doing everything, including casting doubts on the entire caucus process, which is thrilling the Democratic Party here because they want to lower expectations. You know that game. So that's the most democratic district of all. Congressional District 2 is Reno and, and some of the rural areas, it's very Republican, not a lot of Democrats there. Congressional District 3 is the swing district in the state. It's kind of suburban uh, Las Vegas and Henderson, an area named Green Valley, a very affluent uh, suburb. Uh, Trump won uh, CD3. That's the kind of district that it is. While they elected a freshman Democrat, Susie Lee, because of what the Democrats were able to do there on the ground. And CD4 is a relatively new district uh, that the Democrats never should have lost in 2014, but they did when they fell asleep and there was a huge upset. But that's going to be Democrat for a long time. It's got kind of the rural parts uh, around Las Vegas and also the urban core of North Las Vegas. Uh, it's got like a 12 13% uh, Democratic edge. Uh, and so those are the four districts.
0: So let's talk about CD1, because it does have the odd number of delegates. Now, if five candidates end up being viable there, they all get a delegate, but are you hearing that the campaigns are really trying to spend more time and money and play staff there in the event that there's an extra delegate at stake?
1: I I think the smarter ones are, that's for sure, the more sophisticated Mm -hmm. ones and the ones who, again, I must say, learned from Obama in 08 how to do this, Um, but listen. Here's the difference between Bernie in Nevada in 2016 uh, when he did very well and and Hillary barely staved him off and, and Bernie 2020. They have some real pros. Uh, running the show here this time, David. Some people mm-hmm. who used to work for Harry Reid who really understand the process. And, and so they are not just, you know, swarming everywhere. They are doing this in a very calculated and smart way. And so, and Mayor Pete's team is the same too. They have a former caucus director here leading their effort uh, by the name of Travis Brock, who really knows what he's doing. And, and so I still think that they get all of those or at least... Almost all of them. Maybe, maybe Warren gets one. I don't know.
0: Right. So, you'd be right now, and again, it is a lifetime between now and next Saturday, but, um, or two Saturdays from now, but, but Pete and, and Bernie look like the two that might be viable everywhere, based on their organization, you think, and their appeal.
1: I do. But can we please emphasize uh, what a lifetime it is between now and the caucus? And you and I both know how fast the winds turn now. Uh, You know, when I first started covering politics more than 30 years ago, a news cycle lasted uh, 24 hours. Now it's lucky if it's 24 seconds, right? So we don't even know what's happening while you and I are talking.
0: No, it's crazy. I mean, honestly, if you're trying to do well in Nevada, you don't want momentum now. (laughs) You know, you want it a week from now or eight days from now, as close to Saturday as possible. Uh, but, But the early vote does affect that. So let's talk about something that clearly affected the New Hampshire results, which was the debate, um, which that New Hampshire debate, historically Democratic and Republican, has had an outsized impact. Uh, we have a debate uh, in Nevada. I think it's Circus Circus next Wednesday in Las Vegas. You're going to be one of the, the moderators of that debate. Do you think that somebody having an awesome performance, somebody really having a bad performance, could have the same kind of impact in Nevada? Or are people going to be tuning in as closely as they were in, in New Hampshire?
1: I think they actually will be just because of uh, there's more attention almost now on Nevada which I'm happy to say that in the past, uh, partly because of what happened in Iowa and New Hampshire was really considered the first real test. But, but what's happening in Nevada now is that it's seen as Biden's you know last chance because I think his South Carolina firewall falls apart if he loses the first three states and is also ran in the first three states. So they're, they're really making a huge push here at the last moment. I think Klobuchar is really trying to staff up and as I said, spend so much money here. So she sees this as her chance to, to make an image impact and then it's gotten much nastier as I'm sure you've noticed David between uh, Bernie and Pete as this has been going and I think there's going to be a lot of tension uh, going into that debate and by the way someone we haven't mentioned uh, because we don't neither you nor I probably think that he's actually going to be the nominee but who has spent a fortune here is, is Tom Steyer and he's now uh, he is on TV every other commercial break people tell me they get mailers from him four or five times a week he's moved up here in in some of of the polling uh, that I've seen, and who knows what he's going to do in the debate, except look straight into the camera and pretend the moderators aren't there.
0: <laughs> now, it's interesting. So, S- Steyer, spending a lot of money, um, we've seen, you know, there have been some polls in South Carolina. I don't know if they're accurate, suggesting he's grown into the double digits. Do you think it's possible he gets viable either statewide or in the CDs? And if he doesn't, who's that vote coming from, which, you know, ultimately could be super important because that could deny somebody a win or a delegate?
1: Yeah, it's possible, and and he, uh, you know, he understands the rural component of this. He's got this week long bus tour through rural Nevada, and when you, we we just had a story we posted on, on the Nevada Independent site just this morning, uh, we had someone go with him, and and there are people attending his rallies because they're still undecided in the race, and they like what he has to say, uh, and they remember that he was the first one to run the campaign to impeach Trump, and and all the rest of it, and so uh, to play a spoiler role in. The delegate battle, yeah, I I think that's possible, but I do think even though you were masterful at, at how you amassed the delegates, you know, wait, David, it's really all about the momentum now more than it is about the amassing delegates. And if Pete and Bernie come out one two in Nevada and you have that now has happened in three straight states, I don't th- I think the rest of them are all in trouble
0: except for maybe Bloomberg. So, let's talk about that a little bit. Bloomberg's not we on- We haven't
1: talked about him yet, right.
0: Right. So, he's not going to be competing in Nevada. He still may be in the debate, correct?
1: I don't think he's qualified yet, but I think he may qualify. The question is whether he's going to come.
0: Right. That's a fascinating question for them strategically. Whether he's Obviously, if he's there, he's going to be part of the, the debate. If he's not there, I mean, this is interesting from both, a mo- from as you guys plan the debate from a moderator standpoint, but the other candidates. So, you know, you're in Nevada, you've got the caucuses, you know, in a few days, people are voting early, you know, as as the debate's unfolding, but, you know, you've got a national campaign unfolding that Bloomberg's increasingly, um, you know, driving a lot of the narrative on. So, so, what's that dynamic like? Do you think candidates may decide to go after Bloomberg uh, there, um, even if he's not there and he's not competing in Nevada, just because people are beginning to look, to your point about momentum, you know, you've got basically, as hard as it is to, to prosecute the first four states, you've got wall of state's coming right after, and and you're not going to survive if you don't have momentum. Kind of, I'm just curious how you think Bloomberg may play in the debate next week.
1: You know, it's really interesting. And of course, as one of the moderators, I'm hoping he shows up because I think it's going to be a fascinating dynamic. You've already seen, at least Bernie and Elizabeth Warren have talked about Bloomberg, even though he hasn't been around in the early states by talking about someone trying to buy the race. And the question is, um, I mean there's no doubt that they're going to go friendly on him about that but uh, you know I was talking to a pretty smart guy the other day who still believes that just a democratic electorate is not going to go for a former republican mayor of New York City on the other hand David and I don't know how you feel about this if it, this is ends up being after the first four states the Bernie Sanders versus who is the anti-Bernie candidate and people don't think that Pete can win for whatever reasons too young uh, well, whatever. Will they turn to Bloomberg just to stop Bernie because they don't think Bernie can win the general election? I'm not saying I buy that argument, but maybe that happens.
0: It could. I mean, I think Bloomberg's got to have those things happen. Biden fully uh, you know falling apart, Klobuchar not being able to, you know, build on her momentum in New Hampshire, Mayor Pete not being able to go the distance. I think then then he could be in position. It's really um, it's really fascinating. You know, you mentioned, you know, that things are are getting a little more tense between some of the candidates. If looking back in 08, I mean, you know, we had some skirmishing before Iowa New Hampshire, but uh, I think there's a mythology that the Obama Clinton uh, race got really nasty in South Carolina. The truth is, you know, because you covered it, it started to get pretty hot and heavy in Nevada. Um, and you know, which I'm fine with because you know, particularly now, like one of these people needs to face off against Trump. So if they can't handle this field, we're in trouble. Do you expect things to intensify in terms of you know, attacks and back and forth uh, you know, between now and and uh, the caucus day? The answer to that is
1: certainly yes, but I still have fond memories. They're fond for me, maybe not so much for you as a journalist, of covering 08. People don't realize how nasty uh, that got. Hillary had a front group uh, from the teachers' union sue. Yeah, after th- the, the state caucus. state party over the casino caucus sites, and I had D. Taylor, the head of the culinary union and the head of the party, and they almost came to fisticuffs on that uh, program. And Bill Clinton, my favorite story of all, called Kirk Kirkorian, who then was the chairman of... Of, uh, of MGM and, and complained that Hillary was being treated unfairly by these caucus sites. I mean, that was really vicious, nasty stuff uh, that was going on back then. Uh, I think the state party folks are really worried about something similar happening, by the way, David, because it might be in uh, some of the candidates' interest to raise questions about the process, uh, as sue, complain about how the party is, is, is conducting uh, themselves. And then just, you know, if I'm right that the culinary doesn't endorse, but essentially goes all out to smash Bernie, that's just going to set his followers. There's no boundaries with a lot of those folks. So I think this is
0: going to get much nastier uh, before uh, the next nine days are up. I very, very much... Agree with that. So let's talk about you. You know the process, uh, and I agree with you. Nevada State Party is just a, a terrific state party. Um, you have obviously we saw what happened in Iowa, which was you know uh, technology was part of it, but certainly not all of it. You know, not the right kind of training, phone lines getting jammed, um, just massive problems with these new rules about what gets reported. So you've got now for the first time you've got early voting that has to then get incorporated into the caucus process on Saturday. What's your sense? What are you hearing about the preparation? And, and are there should folks be concerned um, either about really long delays or inaccurate information, or you think the party's on top of this? And, and do you get the sense that the DNC is playing a more uh, uh, constructive uh, and heavy role, not heavy in a bad way, but are they more involved in Nevada than they were in, in Iowa?
1: Now, I don't think the state party here wants the DNC involved. Interesting. They, they figure they're just mm-hmm. going to muck it up. Uh, the state party here is as well-prepared as they can be. They're going to later today release the process that they're going to use to collect the data and report the data. And we're, we're working on a story on that right now even as you and I are speaking. I don't believe that they could be better prepared uh, than they are, David. But again, it's a caucus there's some of the campaigns are going to want to cast doubt on the process. And so a minor glitch can be turned into a a major incident. Uh, The Republicans, of course, have been trying to sow chaos uh, since Iowa and Nevada saying it's going to be the same thing. They don't know what they're doing and doing all, all of that stuff too. So I don't think, again, uh, I'll repeat myself, I don't think any party could be better prepared than the state party here. And I know these people, they're very, very smart and talented. But you're talking about hundreds upon hundreds of volunteers in a, in a process that is now bifurcated with the early voting. Things are going to go wrong, David. The question is, how wrong? Is, is it going to be Iowa wrong or, or something much, much less than that? So I don't think we know the answer to that. I think they're going to do a good job. But again, I, I usually have a pretty good sense of what turnout's going to be. This one I just don't because of what happened in Iowa in the early voting.
0: Right. I mean, in a way, it seems like the heavier the early voting is in Nevada, assuming the party's ready to account for that, the better, right? Because you take some pressure off of caucus day.
1: A hundred percent. And I, th- I think they think the same thing, David, that, because that's essentially, as I said, it's a hybrid. It's essentially a primary for four days followed by a caucus, right? And so if they can get most people voted by then, that's a big deal for them.
0: And the people who early vote, they just show up, cast their ballot and leave, right? So they're not obviously having to go through the caucus machinations.
1: Right. And, and they're, they're allowed to, to do a second choice as well so that that can be factored into the viability at the actual caucus sites on the 22nd.
0: So as you're preparing for this debate, um, you know, as someone who's, you know, strategically thinking through questions with your colleagues, you'll be a moderator. Obviously you have the opportunity, and you'll probably drive a lot of this to, to to make sure these candidates are talking about things that are of specific interest to voters in Nevada. But also how do you factor in there's been a lot of debates. How do you, you know, we've heard about Medicare for all, and I'm sure we will again because of the culinary in every debate, but how do you think through like what have these folks not talked to, or what, you know, how do you think about you know, uh, developing some questions that maybe make them think, you know, uh, which I think there's some value because, you know, having worked in the White House, you know, a president's day for the most part is not stuff you planned. It's stuff that just kind of drops on your desk. So I'm just curious what your thought on that, like what, 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 how do we sort of advance people's understanding of these candidates through next Wednesday's debate?
1: I've been thinking about that a lot already, obviously. And David, as you know, I, I asked questions on a TV show for 15 and a half years, and you had the pleasure, <laughs> I think that's the right word, of, of, of being on the, on the program. Well,
0: uh, it was pain and pleasure, but overall <laughs> pleasure. You, you, you did not hold back, yeah.
1: And so you know how I ask questions, and I try to prepare, but I'm also very conscious of what you said. They've talked about a lot of these issues already. And I'm also kind of protective of the sense that Nevada is the first balloting in the West there are issues in the West that maybe these candidates haven't thought through or or don't have as clear positions on or even have talking points on uh, yet. And so the debate formats to me are always frustrating because they're so restrictive and it's hard to follow up, but I can't ask a question without following up and so I may get myself in trouble with my colleagues and with the candidates uh, because you, as you well described it, I don't hold back and so if someone doesn't answer a question, it's going to be difficult. The the, the key to asking good questions in an interview and especially in a debate is making them as specific as possible so they can't go immediately or default to their talking points. And if they do, it'll be obvious that they do. But that's a long way of saying that, that I hope we talk about some different kinds of subjects and that we actually get some answers to policy questions that they haven't had to answer yet.
0: I hope so, too. Having been on the other side of that a lot, preparing for debates, I think, um, you know, you can't prepare for everything. Uh, and I actually think that I've had some moments with candidates I've worked for who handled surprise questions or questions we hadn't prepared well or not so well. But honestly, that's healthy. That's what we want. Um, we, we want this to be uh, something that is uh you know, as live and real as possible. So John, I know you have to do uh, a lot of uh, reporting now and and working your sources around what's going on with culinary, so I just have one last question for you. Uh, You know, Barack Obama was able to win Nevada twice, as you know, Hillary Clinton won it uh, in 16. It seems like the Trump folks uh, believe that they can firmly put that back into core battleground status. How do you evaluate Nevada as it relates to its six electoral votes? Um, Is it is it still lean Democrat? Uh, Is it something you think is going to be an all out war? What's your sense of that? You know, it's interesting,
1: David. I have been saying for a a while now that Nevada is a blue state or very much trending blue, which, you know, who's upset about that? Not the Republicans, the Democrats here, because they say, come on, we we need to put it out there that we're competitive, you know? And and, and so, listen, I got a text from somebody after the 2016 election on the night of the election. I think it was the next morning when it was clear that Nevada had stayed uh, blue from a very high-ranking Republican who said, I just don't think we should try there anymore. Clark County has become too diverse, too big. We can't stop at Clark County, for those who don't know who are listening, is where Las Vegas is. The firewall that the Democrats are able to erect there, uh, David, because it's two-thirds to three-quarters of the vote, as, as you know, and if you come out with a big enough lead in Clark County, it's almost impossible to make it up in the rest of the state. And the voter registration that is going on now, now that we have automatic voter registration at the DMV and the Democrats just doing such their usual great job, it's, it's growing. It's bigger. It's going to be, end up being a bigger margin in Clark County uh, voter registration gap than it was uh, in 2016. And the Republicans now are actually behind independents and third parties in Clark County. It's a very, very heavy lift. They are banking on Bernie being the nominee and that being able to bring a lot of independents and moderate Democrats in, into their fold. But uh, Nevada is at very worst a, a strong, lean blue state.
0: Right, right. I, I agree with that. I agree with that just based on the numbers. So, you know, Nevada is, uh, John Ralston also often likes to use the the motto, we matter, and Nevada is going to matter an an awful lot uh, in this election, helping to decide who our nominee is. So uh, between now and Nevada, I would encourage you even after that, but certainly over the next 10 days, follow John on Twitter, at Ralston Reports. He's got a really terrific, would you say it an online newspaper, John? The Nevada Independent?
1: Yeah, it's an online news site. Yep.
0: Online yep. news site, yep. Yep. Uh, Nevada is. Independent. Uh, so so you should be looking at his site uh, and his Twitter feed with great frequency because uh, he'll help you uh, learn about Nevada and follow along over the next 10 days. And I agree with John. I think it's going to be fast moving. We may have two or three different candidates with momentum during this period, and it's probably going to get pretty, pretty heavy and nasty. Um, so there's no better person to guide us along this journey than John. John, on such a busy day, I really appreciate you spending some time with us.
1: Thanks for the kind words, David. It's always a pleasure to talk to you.
0: Well, as I expected, a really informative conversation with John Ralston. Uh, He took us deep into the culinary union process uh, and and how that may play out, Uh, gave us a good tutorial of the four congressional districts, uh, kind of a sense of, of, of how he thinks this may play out what some of these candidates have to gain or lose based on their performance. Uh, Enjoy talking to him about the debate where he's uh, obviously helping strategize how that debate's going to unfold and will be one of the moderators. And certainly I think we'll drive to have uh, more of the questions um, geared towards Nevada specifically and the West generally, um, which I think will be a good opportunity. Um, And, you know, it was interesting to hear his thoughts on the general election, which, which I agree with, which is Trump will probably, given his money, he's got the ability to to try and put more states in play, but um, you know, if Trump's winning Nevada, it probably means he's, you know, winning, um, you know, deep into the 300s in terms of electoral votes. I don't think it's going to be a tipping point state. Um, uh, so it was it was good to hear that um, confirmed by John Ralston. Can't be asleep at the switch, obviously. Because Trump's going to try and fight, uh, I think, in a bunch of states uh, outside of what we consider the core battlegrounds. but um but Nevada, demographically, both in terms of the suburbs becoming more democratic and and the Latino vote uh, becoming even more powerful, um, is something that um, if it's not deep blue, um it's it's definitely a shade of blue. and uh, it would be catastrophic if if we lost it and would suggest we're probably headed to a a landslide loss. So um, I hope you enjoy uh, learning from John. Um, And and, uh, I I would encourage you to to follow along with him uh, over the next 10 days. Um, So next week, um, we're going to go deep on California, actually. So even though we'll be um, right ahead of the Nevada caucuses, uh, and I do want to devote, um, you know, one of the upcoming episodes on South Carolina, uh, California uh, could be so very, very important, um, depending on how it breaks. It could potentially be the state where one of these candidates opens up a huge delegate lead. So I, I want to go deep on California next week. Um, and, uh, I, you know, and hopefully you can learn about that process, both from a delegate standpoint, um, some of the different geographies and media markets and what it's like to put together a campaign in California. Because truthfully, you could put 10,000 people on the ground and have a hard time organizing this state. So you, you have to approach California differently, uh, tactically, than you do some of the other states. So thanks for spending some time with us um, and look forward to... Uh, Uh, next week's debate and uh, spending some time talking about the California primary. Thank you.